0: Welcome to Fraud Busting. I'm Tracy Brown, the fraud busting body language expert. I have spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion dollar business deals. It's time to dive in so you can beat the fraudsters at their own game and build your bottom line. I get to visit with Brett Johnson today on Fraud Busting. He's the godfather of internet crime. That's a title given to him by the U.S. Secret Service. He takes us on a wild ride from his beginnings in crime to inventing online crime forums, to a cross-country crime spree, being placed on the U.S. Most Wanted list and escaping from prison. He has done it all. Now he's helping companies and individuals protect themselves from the kind of guy he used to be. You'll get inside the criminal mind and learn simple tools you can put in place right away to protect yourself. There's so much here. It's a two-part interview. Enjoy. Brett, thank you so much for coming on. I know we caught you frying a hamburger and we got our, we got our uh, time zones mixed up, but I'm thrilled that, um, that you're here. So thank you.
1: No, thank you for bringing me in. I appreciate it. Oh, You're yeah, great. Yeah.
0: Well, I got to tell you, I have listened to, I'm on episode 24, I think, of your Anglerfish podcast. Oh, oh. And so I know a lot of the story. I don't know the whole story yet, but I want to jump into that. Now, um, cause you have a a past that's just fascinating along with what you're doing right now, but let's, let's get to know you a little bit better first. So I think now I have gleaned from 20 something episodes of your podcast. I think we have a couple things in common. Uh, (laughs) We do. We do. Your mom's name is Carolyn Sue, right? My mom's name is Carolyn Sue.
1: No. Yes.
0: Yes. Well, and I'm
1: willing to bet that your mom isn't crazy like mine is. Though.
0: You know, I I love my mom. All moms are there's certain kind of crazy, but she's she's pretty awesome. She's she's Good. pretty great. Good. So, and what's your birthday?
1: 12270.
0: My birthday is 12274. <laughs> So, um, so we have just oh. a little bit, of, we need to get an astrologer to call in Aquarians <laughs> and, um,
1: together. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Tell us what the deal is. So I, when I listened, I had to rewind it. I'm like, really? But yeah, he here we are. That? Yeah, here we are. So good deal. Um, okay. Let's talk quarantine. Cause we're both speakers. We're not on the road. And, right. um, if you're like me, everything's been canceled or maybe gone virtual, but, um. So, have you been bouncing off the walls? What do you been? You know,
1: I, Tracy, I have. I mean, I'm I'm very fortunate. Um, you know, I, I keep reading these statistics. That the the stat this morning was, you know, two in five Americans would have trouble coming up with four hundred dollars if they had an emergency. Oh yeah. Seventy uh, percent of all Americans don't have a thousand dollars in the bank. I, I'm one of the very lucky ones that we have money in the bank, that we have money in savings, that, you know, we've got uh, our payments put off and everything like that. In, in the hopes that this country gets back to work in a safe, safe way. Um, I'm just wanting us all to get back to work and, and be safe. I mean, we are, uh, the country is collapsing, you know, economically it's collapsing right now. And I understand that, that we have to be safe, but you know, I'm, I'm conflicted by it. i I'm, I'm, I see everyone out of work. You know, we've got 33 million people out of work. And that thirty-three million, because you know I used to be the fraudster, and <laughs> the thirty-three million that you're, you're talking about—people who are good, upstanding citizens—that they've worked hard and everything else—but it seems to me that when we morality tends to be concrete when things are going well.
0: Oh when yeah. When things
1: start to go south, I mean, we we adopt a, a, an attitude of situational ethics and. I've been very lucky that I've not that I've not had to or felt like I had to engage in any type of crime in order to support my family and it looks like I won't have to uh, for example AARP is bringing me in for some virtual dates and everything else coming up so it, it looks like at least I'm fortunate enough that we're going to be all right but I'm worried about about these these 33 million Americans now you know we've got this thing called friendly fraud now which is is people taking or gaming the system mm-hmm. in order to get goods, services, whatever, without having to pay for it. And, and when you look at something like that, I think that we're going to see a lot of people who would engage in that type of fraud engaging in that.
0: And well, right. Their, their backs up against the wall, right? Yeah. Just trying to support the family. So now I, you have a couple of podcasts and, and you talk about this a lot on the online fraudcast sure. that that you do, which is... And I know you're, I think you're planning a couple other ones from uh, what I'm gleaning of just small little acts of fraud that's very opportunistic for people who would normally never do it. So um, do you want to talk about your background first and how you know this? Or do you want to get into uh, what, what we can watch for and how what what people can do about it?
1: Well, I guess that people... They, they probably need to know who the heck I am as to why they should listen to. Probably.
0: Me. So let, let's go that way. Let's go that way. So okay. I'll, I'll let you start. You can start in the middle. You can start at the end and work back because it, it's so fascinating what you just had the guts and not only that, but the smarts to figure out and, and pull off because you're the godfather, original godfather of internet crime. I mean, that's, that was that's, handed to you by the Secret Service, wasn't it? I mean, it, a, it
1: was. It's it's yeah. not a t- title that I'm proud of. It's a title that tends to open some doors at times. Sometimes yeah. it opens a prison door.
0: <laughs> well, there's that. There's that.
1: But uh, I, I guess I could just start by saying, the, as you pointed out, the United States Secret Service, they termed me or called me the original Internet Godfather. And the way I got that title... I was convicted of 39 felonies. I was placed on the United States Most Wanted list. I escaped from prison. But the biggest thing that I did was is I created and ran the first organized cybercrime community. It was called Shadow Crew. It was a precursor to today's darknet and darknet markets, and it laid the foundation for the way modern cybercrime works today. The 39 felonies that I was convicted of, that was refining modern financial cybercrime as we know it. So again, absolutely nothing to be proud of. I do not, I don't brag about it. I don't uh, take pride in that. I don't do anything else. I think that uh, there's nothing, there's no pride to be found in stealing money from people.
0: All right. Well, what, what's, there's some genius (laughs) there, right? So because like, like innovation and, and I don't want to condone the behavior, right? Sure. But I do want to recognize, um, the innovation that went on there and then how, how you can use that now on the other side of things. Cause one of the things I have got out of your podcast is that, you know, like I would not expect to hear the things that you say about uh, regret about your past. So, sure. so raw in a podcast like that. So all I do is detect deception. And and I I'm pretty sure you're sincere on, on 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 your regret and um and I gotta give props to your editor.
1: <laughs> at, He's great. He's great.
0: At the end of every episode is that damn sas sas <laughs> music. I'm like, God damn it, Brett! Don't make me cry <laughs> because you're always talking about your remorse for what you've done. So um, so point being is you have a deep understanding of how this stuff got created so sure. let's let's talk like keep 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 us going through the story here okay yeah. so you know that
1: that was the end result i i went to prison i served uh, after the, i was caught from escaping i served i think six and a half years actually behind the fence my life of crime as you've listened to the podcast it's the Anglerfish podcast my life of crime begins at 10 years old I'm from Eastern Kentucky and my mother was basically the the fraud captain of the entire area at that point. And not only her, but that side of the family as well. My father was not like that. My father was the guy who, my dad came from a quote unquote good family. That being said, well, (laughs) I say he came from a good family. His dad, my grandfather was the county tax commissioner and had went to federal prison for running moonshine while he was tax commissioner. And you'll love this. He was in Milan, Michigan at the federal prison there. He was elected as tax commissioner while serving federal time.
0: (laughs) How does that work?
1: I know. Right. But they, they let him out. They actually let him out of federal prison. So he'd go do his job. So,
0: all right. so like, all right.
1: but uh, my dad was a good man overall. He just, uh, his problem was, is he was so in love with my mom that he became the enabler of everything. You know, he was, oh, okay. Okay. if she had an idea of committing crime or whatever, he would co-sign on to it. And she was, I don't think that, you know, I talk about it a lot and I'm not sure people really understand it, but my mom was a, uh, was a horribly abusive person. And I think that my mom, her, her issue was that she wanted to be loved unconditionally. And she always tested people like that. And the way that she tested people was to be as abusive as she possibly could. If I do this to you, will you still love me? Huh. So she used to, she used to bring men home in front of my dad oh, and, dang. and he would sit there and cry and beg her not to do it. And she'd do it anyway. Um, he just didn't want to leave lose loser. And she finally left him. She moved us, we were in Panama City, Florida at that point. She moved us from Panama City, Florida back to Hazard, Kentucky, which is where I'm from. And she kept up with that. I mean, she was, she was abusive. It, it, it was physical, but it was uh, the damage came from the emotional, the mental, verbal. And she kept up those partying ways. She'd sometimes take me, I was 10, my sister, Denise, nine. She'd sometimes take us with her. We'd wait in the car. Sometimes we would uh, wait in the living room as she went and partied. And I, oh. I that's a nice euphemism for sleeping right. with other men.
0: Yeah, right, right.
1: But uh, most of the time she just left it at home. And this is the thing with me. I, I really do. I say it and I say it in gist on the podcast, but I get the worst parts from my mom and my dad. From my mom, I get that criminal mindset, that, that ability to see past the legal and see different ways to rip people off or scams or build things like that. My dad, I get that fear of being abandoned. I really... Oh. Oh yeah. I mean, it's with me. I am scared to death of the people that I love leaving. So, um, here I am 10 years old. Mom's gone for a few days. I'm the kid that posts up, you know, at the window looking outside to see if she's coming home or sometimes I'll walk out in the driveway to see if she's driving down the street. Denise at nine years old, nine years old, this girl, not, not the least bit worried, just angry. That's what Uh she was, was angry. So mom had been gone for a few days. We didn't have any food in the house. Denise walks in one day and she's got this pack of pork chops in her hand. And I'm like, where'd you get that? (laughs) And she was like, I stole them. And I'm like, show me how you did that. So she takes me over and she shows me how she's stealing food. And, you know, at 10 years old, you don't, you just want to eat.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So we start stealing food. And uh, we look across the way because we were, we were, We were needing a loaf of bread because we wanted to make some sandwiches. and you can't stuff a loaf of bread down your pants, so we needed something. So Kmart was across the way. We went over there and shoplifted a zip-up hoodie so we could put loaves of bread down the sleeves and walk out with it. Once we found out we could steal clothes, well, started stealing clothes, then toys and games and music and all that stuff. Mom comes home and finally notices all the stuff we've been stealing, you know, the full refrigerator, everything else asks where it came from. And I'm like, Oh, we found that. She's like, no, you didn't find that. My sister and Denise is still angry to this day. She carries a lot of resentment and anger over this, but my sister stands up, looks at her mom, never lies at all. And she says, we stole it. And my mom looks at my sister and she says, show me how you did that. Oh. And she joins us. She, she not only joins us, but she goes and gets her mom, my grandmother to join up as well. And she used to, you know, I, I say that, we were a shoplifting ring. The truth of the matter was, is my mom ran us as little shoplifters. You know, we would either distract people or we would go in and steal stuff that she was wanting. Uh-huh. And that's the first crime I committed. Um, and you, you've seen it on the podcast or heard it. And I'm adamant about saying that as well. My, my choices as an adult are mine. I don't, uh, I have trouble reconciling that. Cause I, 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 I know that I'm responsible for my actions. Okay. But at the same time, I was kind of raised to be this criminal, right? You know, I was from, from the start, my sister, she didn't, other than that one shoplifting thing, she never breaks the law again. Again, she goes off. She's a great parent, a great teacher. Um, she's just a great person overall. Me, I just kept going. <laughs> and, uh, as He's I got it. older, yeah, yeah, as I got older, I got more involved in the types of frauds and scams that my mom and that entire side of the family was committing. So, you know, stolen property, um, fake accidents, benefit fraud, charity fraud, um, any number of things you you can think about. Drug trafficking at one point, uh, e- mining illegal coal at one sure. point. So.
0: Well, in Kentucky, yeah, that happens. Or um, yeah. West Virginia, a lot of times.
1: West Virginia, it happens mm-hmm. as well. Absolutely, man. Mm-hmm. We had a, you know, an illegal coal mining operation, and I learned the intricacies of that: how you actually sell the coal, how you mine it, uh, how you avoid law enforcement, how you plan to get the coal out without law enforcement or the mine inspectors, you know, finding you and things like that. And uh, learned all that. I even went into into growing marijuana at one point with them. So I learned all that stuff. And and what happens is around ninety, actually, when was this? This was ninety. Ninety three, ninety four. I fake a car accident and I branch off on my own. I fake a car accident, get the money to get married and move from Hazard, Kentucky to Lexington, Kentucky to go to UK and got married to this girl. And, and she didn't know who I was. She didn't, she was from Eastern Kentucky and she was, uh, I guess she was an escape for me. It got me out of the area and I was an escape for her. Yeah. because She had some
0: problems. This first girl. She she yeah. did.
1: So, uh, got married and I, you know, I, you're taught, I guess certain areas of the country are like that. You know, you're taught that uh, it's a man's job to provide, you know, it's uh, the woman is, she doesn't have to, she can work if she wants to, but it's the man's job to provide. So here I am. I'm, I'm gung ho about that. Oh, you don't worry about working. I'll do the job. I'll do the cooking and cleaning. Don't worry about it. you. Just go to school. I couldn't do it all. I had the 18 hour class load. I had 40, 40 and 50 hour a week job cooking and cleaning, couldn't do it. And I lasted, I guess about six months doing that. Something gave and what gave was a job. And I go right back into fraud at that point. And it started with uh, telemarketing charity fraud. From that, it grows into me finding eBay. And that's my first online crime was eBay. I had no idea at all how to properly commit online crime. So my first crime Find eBay, fell in love with it, knew that was a money-making machine, had no idea what to really do yet. So I I was watching Inside Edition one night, Bill O'Reilly's on there, he's talking about Beanie Babies. I'm sitting there watching him talk about Peanut, the royal blue elephant selling for $1,500 on eBay. My first thought is, you know, I wonder if there's any of those at the Hallmark stores that might just be lying around, Stuart. So I skip class the next day, go around to all the stores looking for the damn thing, can't find it. I'm like, well, shit. So they had these little gray beanie baby elephants for $8 and I'm like, Hmm, let's try it. So I buy a gray elephant for $8, stop by Kroger on the way home, pick up a pack of blue Rit dye,
0: Uh oh.
1: go home, try to dye the little guy and find out really quick that he's made out of polyester dye doesn't hold. You get him out of that little dye bath. He looks like he's got the mange. I'm sitting and looking at him like this is not going to work. I mean, he's spotted blue ish all over everything else. So I'm like, you know, I really need to make this money. So I, I get I get on eBay, on, on the internet, it's, it was Metacrawler was a search engine back then. But I get on Metacrawler and I'm, I'm looking for pictures of a real peanut. Find one and post it on eBay as mine. And a lady, she believed I had the real thing. She wins the bid. And I ripped her off. I sent her a notice. And this is that thing of social engineering. It, what people don't really understand is that most online criminals are really good social engineers. They not may not be sophistically adept at things, but they're very good social engineers. They understand the technology and the psychology enough to manipulate you into giving up information, access, data, cash. So here I am, I send her a message. I was like, uh, don't know if I can trust you, send me a U.S. postal money order. It protects both of us and I'll send you your animal. She did that and I ripped her off of 1500. That's what happens, long story short.
0: Right, now um, let's let's, dive back in just quick for a definition of social engineering for sure. anyone listening who doesn't okay. um, know the term. It's it's basically a manipulation. Yeah, it's but, lying. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's lying, but it's manipulation, but there's a little more to it. So why don't you jump into that just quick?
1: Sure. So so think of social engineering as a form of a con, like a, it's, it's a con game, but it's a one-to-one type game. What you're dealing with is your, is your if you're looking at a computer, for example, it's, it's about layering trust is what that is. So initially the technology itself provides a base level of trust because people tend to trust the internet. They tend to trust the laptop or the phone that they're using that, that smartphone. So that provides a base level of trust. Now as a scam or a phishing or a a social engineering attacks begin, you have to realize that there's a predator prey type situation. There's a an us and them, the us being the, the criminal, the them being the, the victim. Okay. So the idea is to, is to convince that victim, that potential victim that you are on their side, that they can trust you. And the way you do that is first with the technology. Then as you get the technology, you want them on your side. So you do that by, layer by rapport, by causing a problem, by offering a solution, by threatening sometimes, any number of things like that. And so that social engineering, what it's designed to do is give up one of four things. So if you look at a, a, a phishing, a, a, a vishing attack, any type of social engineering attack, what the attacker is actually looking for, what the criminal is actually looking for, is one of four things, information, access, data, or cash, always. Um, and the, it's important, so if I were to call you and I would say, Tracy, send me four hundred dollars. I'm gonna rip you off. You're not gonna do that. No. All right. But if I were to call you and the call, the caller ID says Center for Disease Control, which is what we're seeing right now, CDC. Yeah. If I were to call you and say, "Tracy Brown, my name is James Lasky. I'm with the CDC. Look, we've came to our attention that someone in your area you've had close contact with someone who has tested positive with coronavirus. What we need you to do is we need you to take a test. And you'll probably the response you have at that point, well, who is it? You know, I'm sorry, but with HIPAA controls and everything in place, we cannot divulge the name of the person. However, we have seen that you were in the same area that they were at the time." that this infected person was there. We really need to test you to make sure you don't have this extremely dangerous disease. Sure. What do I need to do? Well, what we can do is we'll send you the test, but we need you to prepay for it. Don't worry about that. The stimulus program is passing right now where you'll be reimbursed for all that cost. But right now in order to get it out to you as fast as we can, we need you to prepay for the test and you try to layer So you've created a problem. You've created the solution. The solution being we're going to test you from home. We're also going to reimburse you whatever you're out. And, and you go like that. It can be like that. It can be like, it can be one for PII. So that's for cash. You can also do that exact, exact same call. You know, we're going to send you the test, but what we need you to do, we need you to go ahead and fill out this form. We're going to fax over to you. Or we're going to email the form to you. Get it back to us as soon as you can. And of course the form's got spaces for social security drivers. The whole license,
0: thing. So much,
1: yeah. The whole thing, And people will tend at that point to comply with that. So it's, it's all about getting people to comply and, and believe that you're someone who you claim you are not. It, it's the thing. It all boils down to trust. How do, you, well, how do you manipulate trust?
0: And that rolled off your tongue real easy.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, it stu- I'll tell
1: you what happened. <laughs> the name James Lasky, all right? What we used to do when we were children, and it was me that did it. It was me and my two cousins. We would crank phone call people as kids. And I would be a detective. I had, I still had this voice kind of voice that I've got now, you, this deep resonating, booming voice. Yeah. And I would call people. And usually the people we would call because it was in Hazard, Kentucky, and you know, it's a small area. Everyone knows what everyone's doing wrong. If you're growing pot, if you're running gambling scene. Or right, anything. right. So I would call, I would call up the gambling guy and i say, yeah, this is Detective James T. Lasky down here at the Kentucky State Police Office. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Looks like we've got a warrant for your arrest. We need you to come on in. No, no, Don't make us come after you. It's better if you come on in. Yeah, just come in. Ask for James Lasky. Tell him you got a warrant for illegal gambling, and everything will be all right.
0: Horrible! Oh my god. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. It was bad. It was bad. But but that's where that you know it's like it's like when you're when you're a kid because of the abuse because of your environment. The environment forces you to become a social engineer. And then as you become older, you start using that, that tool that's acquired out of necessity to, to survive. You start using it to steal money, to, to victimize other people.
0: Well, yeah. Well, it's reading people and understanding how, what they're probably going to do next and how you can start to shift that response to well, make the world go your way.
1: Yeah, and you know, we had talked on on the first podcast that, that you did over on Anglerfish, and the thing is, is you're absolutely right. It's all about reading people. You need to know, if you're on a call center call with someone that you're trying to commit credit card fraud against or manipulate into giving PII or anything else like that, you need to know within the first few words what it takes to manipulate that person. Do you need to be forceful? Do you need to be friendly? Do you need to get them scared? What do you need to do to manipulate that specific person to comply with whatever you need them to comply with? That's what it's all about.
0: Well, yeah. And it it becomes over time a sixth sense where you can just start to read people. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, let's get back into your story. So (laughs) the uh, little elephant, uh, beanie baby, um, was it an elephant? No, it, it was, was
1: an, an elephant. Pete with the Royal blue. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, you used eBay. So all of a sudden you realize the benefits of eBay. So what happens next? Take us through the high points and low points. So,
1: so that crime, that was my first online crime. I did that under my own name. And from there, I start listing items that don't exist. I start, back then on eBay, you could, you could actually put up kind of an advertisement of buying things as well. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would buy people's video games collections or comic book collections or coin collections and just not pay them for it. I'd have them pre-send it to me. I would uh, open up a FedEx account that way it made me look more legitimate. I would say, you know, I'm this company, I'm the store. What you can do is you can use my FedEx account. Shipping won't cost you anything. Just ship it to me and we'll go over it and we'll, re- we'll send you out the check from that point. I'd never send them a check out. Um, selling fake items. And as I got better, I understood more and more about how that, that dynamic of online crime, of defrauding people actually works. So I started, started worrying about the identity and things like that. Of course, I did not have a fake ID, What happens, what changes that is this was probably 96, 97, I had been selling pirated computer software and video games. That that led into installing mod chips, first into gaming systems so you could play the pirated software, then into cable boxes so that you could watch all the pay-per-view, all the movie channels, everything else. Then finally, I started programming satellite DSS cards, those 18-inch satellite systems like fish yeah. Network and RCA.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Started programming those cards, turning on all the channels, all the pay-per-view, everything else. Right as I started doing that, a Canadian judge ruled that it was legal for Canadian citizens to pirate satellite DSS signals. Really? Oh, this, this numb nuts up there. What he actually says, this is what he says. He says, since RCA doesn't sell the systems up here, my citizens can pirate that signal. So, and this, this is typical of a lot of crime. Uh-huh. These types of decisions or regulation where it's just out of the blue, no one knows what the hell is going on. But what happens in the United States, as soon as that decision comes down, an entire industry kind of opens up in the U.S. before those cards would sell for, you know, two, 300 bucks a piece. Now there was such a demand coming from Canada for those cards. You go down to Best Buy, you buy the system for a hundred dollars, take it out in the parking lot, open the system up, pull the card out, throw the system away, program the card, ship it to Canada, $500 a pop. Started doing that. PayPal comes online about the same time. So Mm -hmm. everyone's paying by PayPal at the same time as well. So I start making a lot of money doing this. have so many orders. I can't fill them all. And I'm the fraudster at that point. And I'm thinking, you know, why do I need to fill any of the orders? They're in Canada Oh boy, down here. Who are they going to complain to? They're not going to come down here. Nope. Not going to happen. Right. So I started ripping everyone off, stealing even more money at that point. And at that point I'm profiting, I guess four or $5,000 a week as a college kid. So I'm like, this is good money. Get worried about how much is coming in. And I'm like, okay, What I need to do is I need to get a fake driver's license, set up a bank account under that, deposit all the money into that that account there and then withdraw via ATM. No idea where to get a fake driver's license. So I get online, looked around, thought I found a guy. His name was Fake ID Man, what a great name.
0: Yeah, how could you go wrong with that? Oh yeah,
1: his name was Fake ID Man. He said he had all 50 states available, all the security features, all the holograms, everything else idiot Brett believes that. I sent him $200, sent him my picture. He rips me off. So of course, of course he did. Yeah. Because they're criminals. I was a criminal too. It's expected. So, but I got mad. I hadn't been victimized before. I was the predator, not the prey. Right. And um, the result was ultimately shadowcrew.com. What happened was, is I got mad. I still needed the driver's license. At that point in time, the only avenue you had to commit some sort of organized cybercrime online was an IRC chat session, internet relay chat, this rolling chat board who you had no idea who you were talking to. If they had skills, if you could network with them, if they had an item, if they actually had the item, if it worked, what the quality was, anything else like that. So it was horrible. What happened was, is the first two sites were counterfeit library and then shadow crew. And I built and ran both of those, but it provided a trust mechanisms for criminals to use. now. Because if you think about it, everyone that's online, whether you're shopping at Amazon, or you're shopping on Silk Road, one of those illegal marketplaces, Mm -hmm. everyone online has to be able to trust the platform that they're on. If we don't trust the sellers that are on Amazon, we're not going to shop on Amazon, okay? Same thing with the illegal side. If you don't trust the person that's across the line who you have no idea who they really are, and they're engaged in illegal activity anyway, you'll never shop there. So we built a trust mechanism. It came in the form of a forum type structure, what I call a large communication channel. Now you can go there and you can reference conversations that are days, weeks, months, potentially years old. You can can engage in those conversations outside of different timelines, time zones as well. You can, just by looking at someone's screen name, You know what that person's skill level is, if you can trust them, if you can network with them, if you can learn from them. If someone has an item for sale, we have review systems in place. We have a vouching system in place. We have escrow systems in place. All these things designed so that ultimately, you can trust the transaction or the person you're dealing with not to be law enforcement, security, anything else, or not to rip you off. And that's what Shadow Crew Counterfeit Library did. Shadow Crew goes on to make the front cover of Forbes. August 2004, headline, Who's Stealing Your Identity? October 26, 2004, United States Secret Service arrested 33 people, six countries in six hours, and I was the only guy publicly mentioned as getting away. And, of course, I was picked up a few months after that.
0: Right, right. So how has that uh, unfolded, I guess, into now, into what these cyber criminals are doing? Because – Cause we're going to get back into this story, but let's, let's sure. jump into this. Um, h- how long do you think it would take you to find the personal information of, I don't know, let's say me and how much would it cost you?
1: Uh, I can get your social, your date of birth right now for $2 and 90
0: cents. Right. So right that's now. enough to do what with.
1: So what would happen was I get your social your date of birth for 290 from a website like robocheck.cm. All right. That's -hmm. a criminal database. It advertises the social security numbers and dates of birth for 170 million Americans. Okay. So I get your social your date of birth. Now in the United States, everything is based on KBA, knowledge based authentication. Those are the security questions that are asked when you open up an account or change existing information, anything else like go to get your credit report, things like that. So I start by getting the social, the date of birth, 290. From there, there's a few avenues I can take. I need to pull background check and credit report on you. So I can go with TLO, which is TransUnion's kind of skip tracing software, which gives an in-depth background check of the person. I can buy that on the dark web right now for $25 a pull. Or I can set up my own TransUnion TLO account. So I can use that. I can use DelvePoint which is one of the uh, TransUnion competitors, if I don't have the ability to get either one of those background checks, then I go to other type of background check services. Ben Verified, Spokio, Intellius, White Pages Pro, things like people, things like that. I get the background check not only of you, but every single associate of yours. For example, Ben Verified, For like 20 bucks a month, I can pull unlimited background checks on whoever I want. So I get the background check on you, every associate of yours, in the hopes of getting your mother's maiden name, which is not difficult. Okay. Right. Yeah. From there, it's time to pull your credit report. And I go the exact same place you go to pull your credit report annualcreditreport.com. Why? Because annual credit report asks those KBA questions, those security questions, but they don't have a time limit on those questions. So I can literally, I can literally sit there all day long with a background check and with Google and try to get all the correct answers of any of the questions that come up. Say I miss one of those four or five questions. I don't get the credit report from there. That's still okay because my next stop is Credit Karma, where they ask the exact same security questions, except the answers are different, except for the correct answer. So now I have the credit report. Next stop is LinkedIn to find out where you work, Glassdoor to find out how much you make, mm-hmm. Facebook to find out if you've posted anything of interest, and that's it. At that point, uh, if you um, some security questions involve color of cars, for example, the way you get the color of a car is you just sign up for an insurance quote, and it will pull the cars that are associated with that specific oh, address.
0: Wow. Okay. Okay.
1: Okay. So you can do that. Uh, all told. I can build a complete identity profile within 20 minutes of a person and do that. And from 20 there minutes
0: on all the, of that.
1: Yes. And within that, from there, what do you do? Well, what do you want to do?
0: Buy a, car, this, buy a, buy a car, buy house,
1: buy car, buy house, take out new loans, mm-hmm. uh, engage in new account fraud, take over existing accounts, HELOC loans, student loan fraud, synthetic fraud. You can do that. I mean, there's, there's just tons of stuff. And here's, here's the interesting thing. A lot of people, you hear this over and over again, that, well, we need to make sure that our our information is protected. Mm -hmm. You hear this constantly, secure your information. The truth of the matter is, is that everyone in this country has already been compromised. Your information is out there. Yeah, you can't
0: stop it, it's done.
1: Right, So, so the question becomes, and this is something we have to understand, if our information has already been compromised, and it has, what can we do to make sure a criminal, if he has the information, can't use the information? That's the step that we need to be at right there. Understanding mm-hmm. that that the ship has already sailed about data being compromised. So, how do we make sure a criminal can't use our information? And that's what I talk about a lot of that.
0: Got it. well. Number one thing people can do is lock their credit. Absolutely. And that's that and, and is it's the a pain. It's a pain, but um, <laughs> that it helps a lot. And and I've even been. Uh, because I, I got one of these um, PPP loans, and, yeah. And the first time for my business, and the first time I applied, they're like, "Well, you don't qualify because your credit, we can't get your credit." I'm like, "Come on, you're right." So <laughs> it's a it's a pain, right? But for good reason, right? For so, good reason. For yeah. Good okay. Reason. So let's jump back into the story. Okay. Um, and I'll let you jump in wherever you you want, because because you're okay. building shadow crew and you make Forbes.
1: Yeah. So shadow crew, good
0: and bad, right? Yeah, good and bad. Well,
1: yeah. that, that was the fun. I had, I had actually retired from shadow crew when we made the front cover. Mm-hmm. So here I am. And every now and then I would check into, into the shadow crew side to see how things were going. I had another uh, screen name that I used that I just monitored things on. So I checked in this one day and they're talking about the Forbes issue. And I'm like, Forbes, so the initial response from everyone, it's like you could almost hear it was,
0: yes, we made it.
1: And then it was followed by, ooh, this can't be good. Uh-huh. So it was, it was just both things at the same time. What happened was I started, we had this thing called the CVV1 hack. So we were, we were phishing people and back then when you fished data from people, you could ask them every single thing on the planet. It just didn't have to be login and password. You could ask social driver's license, bank account numbers, passwords, mother's man, you could ask everything like 30 different fields. You could ask and they would give you all that information. So we were getting card numbers, debit card numbers and pins. Is what we were getting. In order for you to encode that card number onto a card and take it to an ATM, you have to have complete track two data. And that, that track looks like it's the card number. There's an equal sign. Then there's a 16 digit algorithm outside of that. You have to know that algorithm. You can't generate it. You can't guess it. You have to know it or the card won't encode. What happens is, is we figure out, first of all, we figure out that Washington Mutual had not implemented the hash on that card, on their, on their bins. Okay. Yeah. So what that meant was, is you could take the, if you had a Washington Mutual number, debit card number, and the PIN, you could take the debit card number, an equal sign, and then any 16-digit number out beside of it, oh, it would man. encode properly. Uh-huh. You could take it to the ATM and cash it out. We found out pretty quickly that it wasn't just Washington Mutual. It was most banks in the United States were like that. Mm-hmm. OK, so all of a sudden, to give you an idea of what was going on up until that point, the only type of real fraud that we had, were engaged in was credit card fraud, online credit card fraud. So you'd buy an item, you'd get it in, you have it shipped to a drop address, you'd, you'd take it, you'd resell it on eBay. That's mm-hmm. what you would do. OK. And a good Carter, that's what you call those people. A good Carter would profit thirty to forty thousand dollars a month on that. Just doing mm-hmm. that. OK, not difficult work. What happens with the cvv one hack? It's no longer thirty to forty thousand a month. It becomes thirty to forty thousand dollars a day.
0: Oh wow! Because you're pulling yeah. it out of ATMs,
1: you're pulling out of ATMs, and you have an un- almost an unlimited number of cards that you, that you can do this with. Okay, we start seeing IP IP numbers coming in from different. Government agencies
0: mm-hmm.
1: united states u k eu everything else, and so we start seeing we're we're being pinged by different government agencies at the same time we start to see local and state law enforcement websites and forums specifically talk about shadow crew all right then we have this kid, his name was enhance, and this was back in by this point it's two thousand three two thousand four. We have this kid named enhance. Back, back in 2003, 2004, Paris Hilton had her T-Mobile phone list compromised, okay. and it was published on the internet. That was this kid,
0: okay? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. He also compromised or intercepted text messages of the United States Secret Service and them investigating Shadow Crew. hmm
0: Okay?
1: I got hold of those messages and I'm at the top of the heap and I'm like, you know, this end is coming. <laughs> we are going to get in trouble. Yeah, huh? At about the same time that that we're seeing all that, I happen upon this idea of tax return identity theft and I'm the I'm that SOB that creates this thing, okay? And what it is is you It started with dead people, you file taxes on dead people. Then it turns into stealing tax information of living individuals and filing before they can. So the reason that everyone has their tax return delayed every day is the SOB that's talking today to you.
0: Uh Uh,
1: So I was stealing at that point, I was stealing $160,000 a week, 10 months out of the year.
0: Wow. Now, how, how much do you need? Like, like let's, is, is it just the thrill of doing that? I mean, cause, cause you, you can't really do a lot with bank accounts. Like this is cash, like in a backpack. It's cash.
1: Yeah. You can't so, do anything with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what happens is, is I would, I got to where I could file a tax return once every six minutes, Sunday through Wednesday, file returns, typically 200 returns a week. On Thursday, I would take a road trip, plot out a map of ATMs, Friday and Saturday, cash out, Sunday, come home, $150,000 in 20s would fit into a backpack like you see kids carry into high school or college. Yeah, yeah. All right. So $150,000 in 20s in that. I had a spare bedroom in Charleston, South Carolina. I'd open up the door, chuck the backpack in the room. One day you wake up and you're like, got to do something with all those backpacks. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's that's when you find out you start learning how to launder money at that point. All uh, right. How much is enough? The The question is, it would never be enough because it, it you 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 quickly you quickly lose understanding of the value of money is what happens
0: oh really cuz it's just so easy to get it's not a yeah. no, nothing you had to like bust your butt for
1: yeah my budget uh, these days i budget because you know sure. I, I have just so much money coming in and there's a budget but yeah. my budget back then was literally literally someone would ask me do you have a budget? Yes. Steal more money. That's what I would say.
0: Got it. Okay.
1: Um, and you do, you lose, you you lose complete understanding of the value of money. So here I am when I become a legal guy, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my forties learning how to budget because yeah. I've never done that.
0: Like, like <laughs> you when, when you first went legal, were you just like, what the hell? Like, Oh my God. Like, did it like, at what point does it hit home? Like, Whoa. <laughs> like,
1: it. You know, it was uh, back when I was, was a criminal. So Christmas for us, you know, it, it was all about excess. You know, you, uh-huh. would, you would have the tree, presents under the tree, presents falling out five feet into the floor, every, everything else like that. You didn't worry about money because it was either stolen goods or, you know, you used stolen money to buy it. And there was yeah. an excess of that. When um, the first Christmas as a legal person, when I actually had money, Cause there were several Christmases as a legal person where I didn't have money.
0: Yeah. It took a little bit to get going. <laughs> we're, we'll get into it that in a little bit. Okay. So,
1: so the, uh, the first Christmas when I actually had money, uh, me and my wife, we sat down and we were like, um, what's their budget going to be? And we settled on $500 a kid. And uh, I was like, all right, that's it then. That's it. And uh, honestly, Tracy, that was, uh, I think about that now. And just that $500 that, that, to me, that means so much more than, uh, than anything that I would have stolen
0: mm.
1: and, and, and had under the tree for people. You know, like uh, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but I, as I became legal and the careers going and everything else like that, I would go through the house here and Michelle, my wife, she didn't know what I was doing. It took her a while to understand because I wouldn't say what I was doing, but I would mm. go through the house and just verbally, I would point out something. And I'd say, well, I stole that. Then I stole that. And I stole that and I would get rid of it. I would give it away, oh, throw really? it away, whatever, and go buy a replacement on it.
0: <laughs> <Huh>. Oh, <laughs> and, wow. Okay.
1: And she was, she got mad. She was like, you know, this is nice stuff we've got, and She got mad. And finally, I mean, we ended up going to counseling and everything, but, uh, finally it comes out in counseling. You know, with me, it's, it's seen everything that's been stolen and all the harm. And it's about just redoing, you know, trying, trying to do things right. Um, but it means a lot more to me now. I don't make, I'm, I mean, I don't steal the money I used to. And I don't make what I did as a legal person and what I was stealing as a criminal. But uh, the, the rewards, I mean, I make, a, I make good money, but the rewards of um, people saying that I help them or I get people that listen to this Anglerfish podcast and they'll talk to me about, uh, not about fraud, but about how, how they were abused. Oh. I, don't know if I don't know if you've got to those episodes yet where I, I talk about a couple of letters that were sent to me, but um, that makes all the difference in the world. It truly does. I mean, it, it lets me know I'm on the right path about things, you know?
0: Well, yeah, I can tell. <laughs> and it's a good thing your editor doesn't edit my stuff because we didn't edit- use the right now. Jesus. We're not done yet. There's a lot more from Brett. Be sure to download part two.